We are uh, in a short series called The Next 20. And the reason why we called it The Next 20 is not because this is like, you know, the big, here's the 20 vision, uh, here's the next 20 years vision for the whole church and what we, where we're going. Um, but rather, uh, this is a, a sermon series uh, about how us as believers, those in the, in the living out the Christian life can have a vision for our lives that will endure, that will see you through to the next 20. That is, as you read the Bible, you will see men and women who, without a biblical soul anchoring longevity of vision for their, for their walk with the Lord, they're abandoning their lives for Christ's uh, vision, um, they will not make it through. That endurance is needed. So we, we talked last week that endurance is needed in the Christian life because here's the reality is we, we showed last uh, week in the world, Jesus says, you will have tribulation. That's John 16, and 2 Timothy uh, Paul says, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, they will feel pressure. They will be persecuted. That, that, that's going to happen. If you want to live godly for Jesus, and we talked all about that last week in another one, Acts 14, we read, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom. Uh, he, Hebrews 10.36 was the verse we kind of sunk our teeth in, which says this, for you have need of endurance. So this is what this whole sermon series is about, that you have, we have need of endurance. You need to have in your, in the DNA, in the fabric of your soul and your heart, this, this idea that I'm going to need to endure and I want to help you get there. I, I want to I come alongside in this short series and just say, what is the Bible's vision for an endurance, for a vision for your life that will see you through so you're crazy for Jesus and you're holding on no matter how many waves have hit you your whole life until you go home. That's what I want for you. That's what I want for this church. I want to talk about longevity. Next week, I want to talk about how we develop ourselves and our leaders and disciple our families for longevity in the church, in your lives. Uh, but today, what I want to do is I want to talk about, and there's many you could do, but I want to talk about two uh, biblical mindsets, uh, two ways of thinking, of being uh, that will help us endure, help grow in us courage um, for these convictions that we will endure. I want to help you think, how am I going to make it through? How am I going to live sold out for Christ? How am I going to get through th this diagnosis? How am I going to get through that disappointment, this hardship, this, I just lost my job because of this. How are you going to make it through? I want to give you two mindsets today that will help you. And so my, my hope is, is that God would um, sow into the fabric of our hearts and our souls just this, this Bible DNA of what I'm talking about. Okay, you're all like, well, just get there. But, but this is important. So let me, let me get there. Here they are. There's two enduring mindsets. Um, here's the first one, God's bigness. Okay, God's bigness. We need a big God theology if we're gonna endure as a church, if you're gonna endure as a Christian, as you follow Jesus to see you through the next 20, you need to have a big God theology. I wanna show you how that plays itself out. And then second, communion Second mindset, communion with Christ and the cross. That is, without a daily devotion and communion with Jesus, you and I will not endure. 
one of the one of the major verses we looked at is that we are to run the race with endurance looking to Jesus and I will tell you you will not endure if he's not the goal of your heart if he's not the end if he's not what you're after in everything if he's not where you want all of your life and joy to be in Christ communion with Christ and the cross you will not endure you won't and so those are the two mindsets so God's bigness and then enjoying Christ in the wonders of the cross. So let me pray, and then we'll do this. Uh, Jesus, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for this unique time where we can look at a theme in the Bible that is so uh, powerful, but not just in the Bible, but as we look through church history, this theme of endurance, this theme of of how the saints held on, how they gave their lives, how they, how they in, were ripped apart in these uh, huge Roman coliseums and endured to the end, how they, how they would enter in and just love people and love one another. You are doing an amazing thing in our lives. I, I thank you that you are as present in the saints and souls of those here on the North Shore that as you are in Syria and Afghanistan and South America and just all over, you're here, you're building your church, you're alive. And I just pray that we would join with Paul and the many writers of scripture to see these two mindsets. And I pray that, that you would do the miracle of us seeing them. So I pray you'd sow in us some things today that, we'll, that we will remember and that will make us last. So just help me, Holy Spirit, teach. I pray we would just really enjoy you. And I pray the best part of this sermon would be when we read the Bible. So I pray we would, we would get excited to read your word and anticipate your power, Holy Spirit. So I just pray for your help in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so you, God's bigness. Uh, we need a big God theology. Uh, to say it another way, if you only think or know God as flat, as like, like if you picture God as worried or as hopeful or as just kind of waiting on you and kind of in response mode, you will not be sustained. Like you and I will not or cannot endure if we think too much of us and too little of God. And so what I want to do in this short amount of time, and this, especially in this is just one point, is I want to take us to some passages all over the scripture in order to show us him, God, as big and how that applies to those who are called to endure. So, so lots of places we could go, but on enduring with a big God theology, that's what we're talking about. We were talking about endurance. How do I see myself to the next 20? How do I have a vision of longevity? You need to have a big God theology. So to begin, we're going to be in Romans 8, and then we're going to end in Romans 11 on this point with a crescendo of what, what Paul sees of how great God is in his godness. So, so let me uh, maybe give you some context. So we're in Romans. Okay, so if you have a Bible, it'll be on the screen too, but go to Romans 8. But the first seven chapters of Romans is Paul just unraveling the, the incredible mysterious and God-glorifying way that men and women are now going to have communion with God, forgiveness of sins. And, and that is going to be not through just, um, you know, they, they thought if we could just obey the law and, and be good, then God would love us. And, and then, 
And, and he just said, you cannot save yourselves, that Jesus has come, God has always come to provide us salvation. And now that salvation is ultimately in Jesus Christ. And he just go, gone through chapter after chapter of just going, here's how this works. Jesus took your sin. He died in your place. You were buried with him in baptism. When he rose from death, it meant it was finished so that when you put your faith in Jesus, you're putting your faith in someone who's procured salvation. And now you have righteousness before the Father, not through law keeping, not through this, but through Jesus. It's all about Jesus. So he just has gone on and on about the gospel, the great glories of the gospel. And then in Romans 8, he's like, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ because Jesus did what the law couldn't. And he's just going and going and going. And then we're going to pick it up, ready? So he's just, look at what Jesus has done. Look at who God is. So Romans, verse 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified, right? Justified, he made them right. That's a word that means legally declared righteous. Glorified, this is the new bodies, heaven and new earth. God saw, God did, and God will do. What then shall we say to these things, all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously, it's all grace, give us all things? I mean, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who declares a person right, justifies. Who is to condemn? You know, look at, look, what about that sin? What about this? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, talking about swords, for your sake we're being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Woo, that's amazing. We should clap for that. Because that's true. So follow me here. How will we see ourselves through to the next 20, 30, 40? Paul's answer, have you seen my God? Like, have you seen my God? He doesn't say things work together for good. Christianity is not a philosophy of like, this is how it works. Good things happen if you do. It's not like that. No, no. His confidence is with this God. Have you seen my God? If, Christian, if a Christian knows that things are gonna to work together for good in their lives, it's because of this God. And they will because of who he is. He won. 
There's no other power. There's no other force. Like for Paul, he's just like, you, you, you need to know this from, from before foreknew to predestination to you getting to the new heavens and new earth. This is all how big God is. So you and I, listen, will not endure if you think too much of you and too little of God. Job 11, seven to nine, can you find out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limit of the almighty? It is higher than the heaven. What can you do deeper than Sheol? What can you know? Its measure is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. Okay, so think about this with me. There is no limit to God's perfection. He says, can you find out the limit of the almighty? Like there's no limit to his power, his majesty, his beauty. Uh, Stephen Charnock, he was a 16th century uh, Puritan. I'm reading a lot of dead people and they're blowing my mind. He, here's, here's what he writes. He says this, whatever God is, he is infinitely so. Conceive of him as excellent Without any perfection, a spirit without parts, great without quantity, perfect without quality, everywhere without place. I mean, like, we can calendar about tomorrow, but God, he's there. He doesn't just know about it, he's present. Power without members, understanding without ignorance, wise without reasoning, light without darkness, infinitely more, uh, excelling the beauty of all creatures. And I like this. And when you've risen to the highest, trying to conceive him, conceive him yet infinitely above all you can conceive of spirit and acknowledge the infirmity of your own minds. And whatsoever conception comes into your mind, say, this is not God. God is more than this. Isaiah 40, 28, have you not known, have you not heard the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Like this, there's no limits to what he knows. Like there's nothing he needs to learn. He, need, he, he knows all things in and of himself with perfect knowledge, all things past, present, and future. What could have happened if this happened He's overall, he's in all. So Paul's like, are you guys, are you serious? I mean, who's gonna condemn? Do you know my God? You're gonna bring a charge against God's elect? Like if God is for us, who can be against us? So I'm gonna come back to Romans 8 a few times, but, but look with me at what he says right after Paul unpacks in Romans uh, 10, 11, no, yeah, 9, 10, uh, of how uh, God was always gonna use Israel to be a light to the nations, that the gospel was gonna come through this chosen Jewish group and bring the Messiah in. So he just shows how God has grafted the Gentiles in, but he, here, here's how he concludes about God. Again, all I'm trying to fight for our souls is that you have a big God. Here's what he says. Oh, the depth, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways for who has known the mind of the Lord and who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid. For from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever, amen. Like, oh, the depths. You need to know who's just got your forever. There's many things that can help you endure in God's word. 
but they all must take your soul to anchor its hope, peace, and confidence, not in you, but in how awesome he is. Let me say that again. There's lots of things when you come to the Bible that you will find great joy and encouragement, but you will not endure unless those joys and encouragements take your soul to have its hope, its confidence, not in how awesome you are, but in how awesome God is. They have to lead to the godness of God, to a big God theology. Here's another one, Acts 17, the God who made the world and everything in it. That's just a crazy sentence. Being Lord of heaven and earth does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by humans' hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Like he does not depend on anyone or anything, right? If you and I need to create or build something, we have to like get us good sleep. We have to go to Rona. We have to get stuff. We have to build it. We have to take effort. It, it, it takes planning. It takes resources. It takes the city to approve something. It takes all of that. If God just wants to make a galaxy, he just says words. He's without resource. He has every resource. Psalm 147, great is our Lord, abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. Deuteronomy 10, 14, behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens. Like the telescopes cannot see far enough of what he is, belongs to him. Like the galaxies, all the extra suns that they all get in the universe is just, nothing stifles him. He's never stressed out. He's not restrained. He's not worried. He doesn't have Mondays. You and I have Mondays, right? You know what I'm talking about? Those days, nothing's working out. There's always seems to be a glitch. You're just, God doesn't have that. He's not, he has no strain on him. We just need to know in our Mondays, he's not having that day. He's in every space, every hard to breathe ache, because he knows the plans he has for you. God can create as much as he wants, as far as he wants, as many times as he wants, and he can create more if he wants. There's no limitation or capacity. Oh, the depths. Paul's always peering into the depths of God. Okay, so uh, my son Gideon, he's a unique kid. He's seven, and um, he he really gets into things. So when he's into something, he is all in. You can't get him out of focus because he's all in. And right now he's uh, into these battle games. So he, whether it's on the iPad or he'll be playing with like his toys and he'll be into these like battle games. So the battle games are like, you know, you have like, you, you hit a button and this guy comes over here and hits him three times and he loses two hearts. And then the other guy comes and hits him. And so he's just so into this. And you can tell like he, he, whenever you look at him and he catches you looking at him, he smiles and you can tell he's on one of the teams, like deep inside, he's identified with one of the guys and he just loves it. He comes alive. Um, you know, he always has this one guy. He always wants to show me that it's like the mega champion. Oh, this guy's coming up next dad. I'm like, okay, you use him. Right, and the worst about those games is they always make you pay for more. Right? They're like, "You want to upgrade? Six ninety nine." Anyways, um, so he, so here's a picture of him. Uh, I think we have it. Yeah. So he now this is him playing battles with all of it. And see the xylophone right there? He even has a theme. And you're just like, "Oh, something's about to go down. <laughs> Battle time!" Right? Um, okay. Well, once in a while, 
once in a while. I mean, usually these battles, like it's hard to get them to the bus because they last like five, 10 minutes because it'll be like, you lost two hearts. And he'll tell them. Like his helicopter lost two hearts to the dinosaur. Um, But once in a while, he will just decide the mega champion guy comes out. And when Mega Champion comes out, he takes him and he just goes, just knocks them all over. And when I look at him, and I, because I knew Mega Champion just came out, he smiles at me and I think he loves it because he feels that that was him, that he was with Mega Champion. He just won. That's Paul. Have you seen my Mega Champion? Like, have you seen who loves me? You think I'm worried about famine? You think I'm, you think I'm stressed out about tribulation? Are you kidding me? Like, have you seen my God? If God is for us, who can be against us? They'll kill you. You get God. Like, this is what made Paul so impossible, right? Many pastors have pointed this out, but this guy wouldn't quit. They were like, hey, Paul, we're going to throw you in prison. And He's like, all right, I'll convert your guards and write the New Testament. (sighs) Okay. Uh, Well, then we're going to torture you. Well, you know, I don't consider the suffering of this age worthy to compare to future glory. Dang it. All right, well, you, you can live. To live is Christ. Like, you just cannot put this guy down. Because have you seen my God? Now, I'm not saying it's, it isn't going to be hard. You read some of the letters. I've been taking our staff through uh, Paul's trials recently. He's like through shipwrecks, sleepless nights, toils, um, were burdened beyond. Like he did not not need to endure, but how did he endure? Because he, he knew God was. So I'm not saying, well, you know, just think of God big. Paul knew what it was like to suffer, but you will not endure unless you know who he is for you. If you know he hasn't allowed anything to come through your life that first hasn't sifted through that God's hands. The bigger God gets and the smaller we get, the more confidence we will have in what God has commanded us to do and to be a part of. We're gonna gonna walk into that next week but I can't go there until we see this. The bigger we are and the smaller God is, the less confidence you will be, the less confidence you'll have. So how do we do this? Well, you know, my job is to lay before you the depths of God every week, particularly in the glorious love and work of Christ, who's the radiance of God, but... We'll get to that in our second point. But one way we get this is this constant mindset of coming to the scriptures to see and behold his glory. Meaning, we need to be a church that regularly, whether it's individually, corporately, in your community group, as we worship, we're pulling together, we're pulling out the promises of God, the greatness of God, the majesty and the beauty of God, to be amazed at God, to let that come in and worship him for it. Like you and I need to come to the scriptures to be mesmerized by God. You need to slow down and go, 
what does this mean? We, we can just easily just read through it without being amazed at the magnitude of God. And the way to get that amazement in you is worship. Praise him. Also get into a community group because one of the questions you're gonna ask this week, by the way, they start this week. So you can sign up online. You can go on your phone maybe after the sermon or after we sing uh, and sign up. There'll be some community group leaders out there. But one of the questions you're gonna ask this week is how do we practically pursue a growing knowledge and worship of a big God? So that's what you need though. You need, you need a, we need a big God theology if we're gonna endure as a church. If he's too flat and too small, you won't endure. Second, we need communion with Christ and the cross. So uh, I'll just begin. In Paul's letter to Timothy, Paul says this. He says this in the middle of, of challenging him and calling him to endure uh, because ministry is being really hard. He's really struggling. There's a lot of false teaching that's coming within the church, trying to capture people away. He's, they, he's, he's just calling him to endure. And there's this strange line that it hit me when I was studying this text, how much Paul says these kinds of sentences. But in 2 Timothy 2.8, we read this. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Like in the middle of going, you got to endure. This is what you're going to need to hold on. He's just like, remember Jesus Christ. Like, don't forget Christ. This word remember means to, to continue. It's an, it's a verb. It's a, it's a command in the Bible. He's like, do this. Remember continually Christ. You don't go away from Christ. We don't, we don't move past Christ from his gospel. And notice he says, risen from the dead. He's risen. That changes everything. You, do, you cannot forget the fact that he was risen. And if you're not a Christian in here, really glad you're here. Want you to ask lots of questions. But you need to know this has an implication for you, for everyone. Because Christianity is not good advice. It's not, here's one way you can have a happier life, feel like, you know, you're not as bad as you are. And, and, and all that kind of thing. No, no. These men, these disciples, Timothy... They just, they weren't excited on advice. They weren't excited. They weren't gonna give up their lives unto death on the conviction that Jesus was merely, you know, risen in their hearts or even alive to them. No, no, at the heart of their faith was the conviction that Jesus had done something for them by his death and resurrection. Something happens. God procured salvation for all those who believe in him. That event happened and that changed everything because it meant it was all true. It means hell is true. It means the anger of God on our sin and he should be angry. We're a mess. Like we've broken his commands. We have in our selfishness, we've treated God as if he's less than our stuff, as if he owes us something. We have hurt others. We have said and thought things that we know even before our own parents would be like, whoa, you thought that? Yes, I'm sorry, dad. We, we need to feel the depth of the evil of our sin and God's wrath on our sin. 
You and I deserve every ounce of judgment for our sin. And yet Jesus stepped in. Jesus stepped in. This is the cross. Jesus rose from taking the atom bomb of God's penalty for our sin so that we could be called sons and daughters. He took the hit. He bore the pain and shame. Listen, for the sin done to you, not just our sins. I hate watching TV these days. So I'm starting watching Jack Ryan. Oh, you guys, you watch that kind of stuff? Yes, okay. It's like the new 24. Um, But I hate it because I get angry. I get angry that we have people like these, oh man, I'm gonna get, like doing horrible things to refugees and women and sex slaves and all, you just get this anger because sin is ugly. You should get mad. You should be upset at sin done to you. That's not wrong. We shouldn't be alarmed that God, to be good, has to be just with sin. And in love, he, he came to pay in our place for our sin. This is what he's saying. Remember Jesus. You want to endure? You want to know that you're, that you're going to be rooted in Christ? That you're going to make it? Christ did this for you. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus died. There's no sin that wasn't condemned on Christ when you put your faith in him. That will hold you. When guilt rushes in, when you have a bad weekend, when you feel and you bark out at your spouse for something, Christ died for that. That's got to hold you. Sorry. D.L. Moody said this, before I came to Christ, I worked toward the cross. When I came to Christ, I worked from the cross. We don't outgrow the gospel. What he's saying is, Timothy, don't Don't get so used to being a Christian and doing Christian ministry and and making sure everything's right that you forget about Calvary in your own life. Don't get so cute in your Christian life that you forget about Calvary. Calvary. Galatians 2.20, listen to how personal Paul makes this. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. That's the power of the cross. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who, what's our next word? Who loved me and gave himself for me. Me. This will sustain you. Listen, yes, Christ died for more. Yes, many who will believe. But look right at me. Don't forget you. This is what he's saying to Timothy. Remember you. So listen, while impaled on the cross, Jesus' suffering I was on the world, but it was also lovingly directed toward you. You. If I could just eyeball every person. You know, but you, you got to take this in. Like you, you were there. Like you were there. Like this is real for you. We don't play games. This isn't like, uh, what did, like, no. We don't play. 
this really happened. You were there. Your sin was there. It was nailed there. In the book, The Cross of Christ, John Stott writes, the essence of sin is we human beings substituting ourselves for God. We get to, we get to make our own and we get to make our own lives, right, wrong, good, and evil. We decide. We don't need God. While the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for us. We put ourselves where only God deserves to be, and God puts himself where we deserve to be. God put himself where you were supposed to be. I'm okay if you feel that. And be amazed at Christ and cry a little. Because you won't be sustained if Jesus isn't real to you. Like if he's not your joy, if he's not your assurance, if he's not your life, and this is all just what you do on Sunday, you will not be sustained. Jesus cries out moments, hours before they start mocking him and spitting in his face and cutting up his eyebrows and forehead and neck and ripping out his back. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Eternal life. Right? No one would say, oh, I don't want that. Everyone, every human being. Hey, if, if eternal life exists, would you want that? Yeah, I want that. And this is eternal life. That they know you. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. So here's my point. A crossless Christianity will not sustain a moral religious framework will crush you. You'll always feel not good enough if you're not hooked and in, in working every moment from the love of God in Christ at the cross. That's what Paul's saying in Romans 8. Nothing can separate you. To know him. What we'll see you through is remembering Jesus Christ risen daily, hourly. The gospel is news that creates a life of love towards God. There's no such thing as a Christian who doesn't have a new life towards God and others. It's, 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 you'll never move from it. It's the glad news that communion and new life, new joys, everlasting pleasure in God is possible. It's where... Jesus is the end. We can't do anything apart from him because there's no life apart from him. Paul would say things like this all the time. He says like, you know, to live is Christ. He, he says at one point in Colossians, when Christ who is your life appears. What's going to trans, this is really cool. We'll study this in 1 John. You know what's going to transform your actual body? Your full body from getting full, indestructible, infinite, unbreakable, new bodies promised in heaven for you and your inheritance, you know what's gonna transform you? It's not gonna be anything that he says. It will be when you see him face to face. That will be so powerful, it will completely make you new. Oh, that we could just see that now. 
So I wanna ask you, I wanna ask you, are you enthralled by, in awe, in love with your Redeemer? So that everything, everything you think, desire, choose, decide, and do is propelled, the engine is propelled by love for Christ. In Revelation 2, Jesus writes a letter to a church that looks really healthy. Like if you went to this church and you were looking for a healthy church, you'd be like, I think I found my church. He writes a letter to a church in Ephesus whose doctrine is perfect. I mean, they're like, oh, you gotta come. The Bible teaching is so, it's so good. It's like perfectly exegetically right. They believe the gospel. They're not off. You know, they don't have another guy's teaching plus that guy. They, they, were, they were holy. Some of us are holy. You know, we want to go to a church that's like, they're always talking about repentance. Everyone's holy and, and we're all like, you know, we're all, we're all struggling, but there seems to be a purity, a high standard. Some people love that. This was this church. They were obeying him. But listen to what Jesus says to them because he has something against them. Revelation 2, it'll be on the screen. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. That's hard, by the way. You want to believe in the Bible at, at work? You're going to need to endure some things, and it's going to take patience. And Jesus sees it. And I, he's like, I know how you, you cannot bear with those who are evil. But you've tested those who call themselves apostles, and they're not. Great job. Elders, good job. You found them to be false. Look at this, because we're talking about enduring. I know you are enduring patiently, says it twice, and bearing up for my name's sake, and you've not grown weary. But I have this against you. You've abandoned the love you had at first. Love for Christ, you kept out in your busyness your first love. Jesus is, he's in them, but he's not in the main place. Jesus is not in your heart supreme. There's a lack of humble, needy, celebratory, worshipful, meditative communion with me. It's as if you were just doing ministry and I'd left the building. And look, they were doing a good job. But it seemed divorced from a living awe in love with their Redeemer. They chose their theology to be their Savior, maybe their practice, their boundaries, their ministries to be their Messiah. And he's saying, realign. So um, I never warn my wife when I'm going to use her in a sermon, so she's not good. So, so I get a text from Nikki while I'm working on this sermon. Um, and we're just talking about something with the kids and organizing. I think I had to cancel a swimming lesson or something. And then she said, hey, like, um, and hey, I, I thank you for remembering uh, our dates once a month, which is sarcastic. Okay, so... I told her when we planted the Shore Church that I would make sure we would get a breakfast date every month. And <laughs> since we planted, she's had to remind me every month. And you know, 
the worst, okay, if you're a husband and you're married, you know this feeling. Because you're just like, oh, like, it's not, you, you think in your own heart, it's not that I don't love you and want to date. Just got, you know, you'd have that, like, it's got busy. But then you're like, you know what, she's right. Because here's what I know about my wife. She gets priority. Like, like you know, if you're ever meeting with me and I can see it's her, I have to look at it. I have to t- take the call or I look at it because she has priority. So she has priority over my schedule. And I knew my Monday morning was going to be like, boom, boom, so busy. And I was like, no, she gets Monday morning. So, you know, I'm trying to find, you know how you like try to find a meme to make up for it? Like something funny she'll laugh at. So you don't look like a, a loser. So I'm like looking for a meme and I'm like, you know what? There's no meme. <laughs> We're doing it Monday. So I'm canceling my Monday morning. Um, but is he priority? Like, let me ask you, what is your heart temperature for Jesus? Like, when was the last time you whispered, like, I love you? Or just the thought of him made you want and nothing less than him? When was the last time you just sung about him? What does Jesus say to the church in Ephesus? Remember, verse five, same word, remember. Therefore, from where you've fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Like when you came out of that synagogue and you saw that bald guy just preaching and you were like, you just, or that temple and you just came out and you were doing some gross things to try to earn the God's favor. And you heard the gospel and Christ opened your eyes and you, you're like, I wanna burn these books. Jesus is everything. Like I, I want to spend time with him. I want to get with his people. We were together. Like, I couldn't get enough of him. Do the works that you had at first. John Owen says, fill your affections with the cross of Christ that there be no room for sin. There's no greater way, short church, to endure than to remember and recount and renew and remain in Jesus. Jesus told his disciples two things on, in John 15. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And he says, remain in me, stay in me. Get, the way to see your life through the next 20 is if you remain. Then he says two things, remain in my love, in my love and in my word. And I just wanna say like, if we don't get more of Jesus, like who cares? Like, what are we doing if he's not our goal? Like, like, what are we doing if it's not enjoying him and loving him? And Charles Spurgeon, they're all dead, these guys, says this, abide close to the cross and search the mystery of his wounds. So before we close, and worship Jesus and enjoy and thank him, the Father for his love. I want you to think about our mission. Like our mission is to make Jesus known, to show and to share the, the great gospel and worth of Christ and everything we do. That's our mission. We wanna help people 
know Christ. I mean, by the way, if you're here and you're like, you Christians, you're so narrow-minded, all you try to do is convert people, you should keep that stuff private. All I would say is we're just getting the joy out. Like, we, we, if we really love, we wouldn't. You might say, well, that's nice for you, but you shouldn't try to persuade somebody else. We're not, we don't just see him as nice for us. We see him as an absolute need and beauty and, and he is our savior. If he rose from death, it meant it all is true. You don't have to believe in God if he didn't rise from death. But he did. And so going back to my, am I going way over time? I'm used to my old time, by the way. So this is gonna be longer. <laughs> two, two more minutes. Um, this task, I want, you need to hear this in light of the mindsets because the mindsets are gonna come into this task. This task to make Jesus known without this mindset won't happen. It won't, you won't do it. You'll be a non-active Christian, which I don't know if it's biblical, but you just won't because without these mindsets, you're gonna make too much of you and too little of God when it comes to making Jesus known. A big God theology and a love of Jesus, a communion with Jesus in the work of the cross will, ha- will shape your mission. Because listen, the God is the one who saved you, not you. Like you and I weren't saved because we were awesome. Well, God wasn't like looking at like, who's it gonna be awesome? Let's get him, write him down, Holy Spirit. Like he wasn't like that. We weren't saved because of us or how bright we were. My point is, is the more this is about you, the less you will evangelize. You'll always feel inadequate. You, you always get in the way of God's saving when you make this about your ability rather than his. So we need to get over ourselves and we need to know he's gonna save because he's awesome. He's not needing us to be awesome. He needs us to be obedient. So I was all revved up on Monday. Sorry, Dan, this is taking too long, bro. Um, I was all revved up on Monday and I'm just walking into work up at the Shore Hub on First and Lonsdale, and there's a little market below us, and a guy named uh, Melvin who came to the outdoor gatherings, he was there, and I was, you know, just getting some food and um, some groceries, and I just said, hey, Melvin, you came to church. Hey, if you ever want to learn about God or or if you have any questions about Christianity, I'd love to talk to you, and he was like, oh, yeah, and I was like, you're always invited to the church, and then he was like, yeah, maybe I'll come, and I said, you know what, you know, I said, here's the greatest hope we have. I said, our forgiveness, our righteousness, our, all the stuff we've done um, can't make us right with God. Our hope and joy is that God has come to forgive us. For I just started sharing the gospel with him. And I walked out of there going like, I can't save, but, but I'm called to be faithful. All right. We have an evangelism training class starting in two weeks. I don't know why we wouldn't all sign up for that. Josh is teaching it, but, but know this, God opens hearts. We're saved because of him. Alpha is starting up. We're really excited about trying to help people explore Christianity. We'll have invite cards after, but, but you and I, and I'll close here, will only be bold when we realize that the sheep will hear his voice that it's never about how good we are. 
but how good and awesome God is. Because you know who's going to kill it this year? God. He's just going to kill it. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. I just pray that as we respond now, I pray, oh, Father, that you would work so deeply in our souls. I pray, Father, that we would thirst and hunger for you, for who, who else do we have? Where else will we go? You alone hold the words of eternal life. So I just, I pray that as we respond, Father, that we would come out of here just excited to see and be with you. Like, have you seen our God? I pray for this confidence in, in our lives this year. And I pray that we would endure from the cross because of your great awesomeness and give us boldness where we need it in our endurance. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Will you stand with us as we respond?